This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 205 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. We are all back together for the foreseeable future and what a time for it as we'll be breaking down a perfect 2-0 week for Georgia State's men's basketball and the first three-game winning streak for the Panthers under Jonas Hayes. We'll also do some housekeeping and circle back to some football schedule news we've neglected to update you listeners on. Yeah, so cleaning up a little bit or, or re- resetting expectations, the gr- the going bit for me and David last couple episodes was like setting up this like massive trip that Jordan was going on. And he does drive to and from California every year. So there is some massiveness involved. But I do think we maybe set the bar a little high as far as when Jordan was going to come back, it was going to be this big story from him. And I- I'm sure you have great stuff to mention from that trip, but I do want to re-unset expectations as far as like i don't think it was like a movie like you know like crazy road trip type stuff it really wasn't anything super exciting or climactic like we we just we drive out to see family in california and on the way we stop and do some interesting stuff um probably the only thing of note to this podcast is on the way out we took i-20 through louisiana and passed by monroe and on the way back we passed through lafayette on i-10 that's pretty much the only thing having to do with the sunbelt but um, I guess while Jordan we're on the is just a Sunbelt <laughs> guy through and through, just committed. It's like I heard it was going to be an extra hour to do that that way. But Jordan still wanted to go through Monroe and Lafayette because <laughs> he's just that type of Sunbelt guy. But while we're while we're talking about that, I did want to mention uh, if you ever travel on I-10 West and you go through El Paso, you can see the Sun Bowl from the freeway. And all the uh, the UTEP stuff is really, really interesting to see, like the architecture in the city. And you can actually see inside the stadium if you're headed eastbound. Westbound, you can't see inside, but uh, that's fun. Lots of uh, lots of interesting football sites to be passed on the way out west and back. But uh, I digress. That's enough of my inconsequential stuff for this podcast. What have you guys been up to while I've been gone? Uh, needing help narrating and keeping this thing on the tracks, I will tell you. It is definitely a lot to handle without just the guiding of Jordan keeping us on track and taking us between segments because i was doing it on the fly and it was like man i don't like doing this on the fly it can be so difficult sometimes and i mean we've been doing this for so long it's you'd be surprised that you know any sort of struggles that we would have with it but you know jordan really does keep this whole thing together and running on schedule right we should be used to it because it is a pretty semi-regular december january thing at this point where jordan is going on this trip but every year it comes around we're like oh yeah jordan's going to be unavailable for a little while i mean you guys don't sell yourself short you've done a good job and i have been editing and posting all of the podcasts don't forget i have listened to them (laughs) you've done well and also it's it's almost five years five year anniversary coming up in a couple weeks so uh let's not pretend like you don't know what you're doing here but i appreciate it yeah, round of applause for us and and round of applause for the men's basketball team for a 2-0 week that uh, and before Jordan goes into like the TikTok of what happened, like we could have been having a very different pod if Thursday goes a different way. Even with a one in one week, that game was certainly trending an ugly way and Panthers found a way to turn it around. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and dive into that. Uh, like you said, it's a 2-0 home week for the Panthers, a 77-70 to comeback, I wouldn't say that five times fast, uh, against Old Dominion on Thursday, and a 90-62 to blowout victory Saturday versus rivals Georgia Southern. That was a glorious game. Uh, the Panthers trailed by as much as 20 in the first half versus ODU before storming back and ending the game on an extended 56-29 to run over the final 24 minutes. And on Saturday, GSU took control with a 15-2 run, which gave them an 18-9 lead and never looked back. They led by as much as 32 in the second half, shooting 59.4% as a team as they tied their best-ever margin of victory over Georgia Southern with a 28-point win. It matches a 96-68 win for the Panthers back on February 13, 1980. State's home sweep last weekend makes them a 9-7 on the season and 4-1 in the Sun Belt, Good for a three-way tie for second place behind surprise 5-0 and leaders Troy. Uh, gentlemen, thoughts on this week of games? I mean, just the truth of it, like this is the first thing I came back to was like last year's team goes one-on-one in best in that situation. We saw them lose games like Thursday's game last year where they got outplayed pretty badly in the first half and 
gave some kind of comeback effort in the second half, but just couldn't stack enough plays together. Um, and it was really a full effort from before halftime, but really in the second half uh, against Old Dominion to save that game where it, there's not a lot you could write home about uh, about the first part of that game. I mean, Old Dominion was just hitting everything. I mean, it just clearly they had found a groove offensively. They had gone to that 3-2 zone, which State really didn't have an answer for until very late in the game. A shout out to whichever assistant had the scout for the Georgia State game for the Monarchs because... 3-2 is like one of the rarer zones you can go to nowadays. Like you rarely see teams use it. So I can't imagine Georgia State was prepared for it. And it clearly was not something they handled on the fly. And that combined with 7 of 11 shooting from a 3 to start out. And Old Dominion was up 20. It was 39-19. And I was sitting there in arena like, this is not how I expected this game to be going. It certainly didn't. You know, I think we... We did not gloss over Old Dominion during the week, but obviously they're a basketball program right now dealing with um, some tragedy and uh, some off the field things that makes playing basketball at the collegiate level pretty difficult. And, you know, absolutely no disrespect to them. But in that first half, it looked like they were the team who, you know, had come in on a little bit of a. Let's call it a hot streak for Georgia State because they have been playing a little bit better towards the end of non-con. And, you know, they had won. Their, I think they were two. Yeah, they're two and one coming into the weekend in conference play. But that whole first half, I mean, Old Dominion couldn't miss. And it wasn't even just that Old Dominion couldn't miss. It was that the Panthers were just kind of allowing them to get whatever it is that they wanted um, on offense. You know, and Georgia State wasn't really doing much on offense themselves. And it wasn't really until the end of the half did Georgia State kind of settle in a little bit and cut it, cut. The, yeah, like you said, they were up, Old Dominion was up 20, and Georgia State finally put some shots together, you know, cut that halftime deficit down to, I think, 12. Yeah. And it was like a. I mean, 12 felt like two, you know, given exactly. how bad it had been. When I saw it was back at 12, I didn't think they were like home free because. Like I said, we saw them have plenty of halftime deficits they cut into but couldn't really turn the corner on and end up still losing the game. But it felt like so much different because it felt like it was a 30-point lead the way the teams were playing at certain points. And it it literally did get up to 20. And it's something Coach Hayes talked about after the game that he had said to them, cut it to 10 before the break. And they cut it to 12, and they had the ball final five seconds to cut it to nine or 10. And so he almost was exactly prophetic. And I think that that was the first encouraging thing. Like you felt like they finally found a little bit of it. Tanari got his shot going some, he had not really been a factor offensively for the first like 12 minutes. He hadn't scored. I don't think until like the eight minute mark, he ended up having 23, you know, at the tying a career high. Um, but he's the guy offensively felt like got going and, there was a point where Georgia State also tried to go to some zone, uh, more of their like two, three that they go to sometimes, and it wasn't really working. And I think they finally just kind of got back to being like, we need to just man these guys up. And they did a better job. I think some of it was just like law of averages. Old Dominion started missing more shots. Uh, you know, you go from starting three of 11 from three to going 0 of 13 in the second half. Like, that's not all Georgia State just being amazing at defense. Some of that was just the shots that were falling earlier for the Monarchs stopped falling. But certainly they got their edge back defensively, and that helped them claw back into the game. Absolutely. You know, and if you, I think the thing that struck me um, so interesting at halftime, I did not call any sort of comeback. I'm not, you know pretending like I'm Apollo or anything. But when you look at the shot breakdown between made baskets and attempted baskets, both just in general and from three, the underlying made it seem like Georgia State was a lot more in that game than it really seemed on the surface. Like So, for example, in the first half, Old Dominion shot 16 of 33 from the floor, 48.5%, really good. Georgia State took three more shots and they missed, they, they had made four fewer shots. And the difference in that halftime score of 12 was mostly accounted by the free, not the free throw disparity, excuse me, the three-point shooting. Old Dominion was 7 of 16 in the first half, 43.8%, really good. Georgia State was 4 of 15. 
that right there, those three made shots and just one other basket is really the difference. And like, yes, I know that that sounds simplistic, but the way that Old Dominion was coming at Georgia State in the first half, you'd have been surprised to know that Georgia State had one, taken more shots than them, and two, had only missed four fewer shots than they had taken. And that sort of disparity really kind of made it seem like, okay, Old Dominion probably is due for some regression here somewhere, somehow. And in the second half, you know, I didn't expect them to not hit a single three in the second half, but Georgia State found a way to tap into something and, you know, another good half with Georgia State making their free throws. A half where they outshot the other team as well. They had only two turnovers in the half. They played so much better defense. You know, they actually got their fouls in control in the half. And it just, the team looked so much better. And, you know, I mean, I know that the half disparity was 44 to 25 in favor of Georgia State. Obviously, Georgia State, you know, you can say that they dominated that half, but they really dominated that half. You know, I think it was Georgia State, like, got it down to, like, five or so before the halfway point in the second half yeah, and even it was, just a- it was six before the first media time like um yeah the most important thing they did when they wanted to mount, mount a comeback was they kept that same energy right out of the break and exactly. it took them a while to actually tie or take the lead in the game but they got the jump on odu out of the breaks just kind of like old dominion did in the first half and that's why like it was immediately the ball game and you felt kind of the nerves switch over to where it was ODU having to protect the lead and losing all of their offensive flow that they had been going with for the first half. Yeah, exactly. And like that was something that I thought to myself, I was like, if ODU is not careful, this is going to be a very bad afternoon for them or evening, whatever. And, you know, it starts with the same two guys that we, it's three guys that we've talked about all year. It's Dwan Odom. It's Tanari Lane. It's Lucas Taylor. If you have two of those three guys going off, Georgia State offensively is going to be in a good spot. And obviously, we're not going to talk about Saturday yet, but just to, you know, peek ahead to that game, that was a game where they scored 90 points because all three of them went off. You know, it it really is when those two guys, when you can get two of those three guys to play very well for 40 minutes of basketball, Georgia State usually comes out either winning or close to winning. Yeah, Dewan, I thought, was like your exact point guard you wanted because you'd look at 14 points, 10 rebounds, because again, he's a good rebounder. Not just like a good rebounder for a guard, just like full stop a good just, rebounder. Exactly. And eight assists and zero turnovers. Like when he is cooking like that, where he's not making mistakes, when he's looking for that guy in transition. And when you're getting Tanari and you're getting Lucas catch and shoot or spot, you know, off of a screen or something. I just, I don't know what the disparity is. And it's not to say that both of them cannot make shots off the dribble because they certainly can. And the difference with this year's team and last year's team, one of them is that you have a couple of more guys that you trust to make their own three where last year was really, there was no one you really thought was able to do that or do that consistently, but they're undoubtedly better when they are spotting up and when, whether it's off a pass from Dewan or whether Dewan passes inside and it's a kick out from one of the bigs, like you saw them really get those shots. And that was really a Saturday thing because the, the three point shooting wasn't stellar against Old Dominion, but uh, Tanari Lane, 5 of 12 from 3. You take that every day and twice on Sunday. Uh, And like I said, him finding it offensively in the middle of the game is really what helped them fight all the way back into it. And uh, yeah, you mentioned the the disparity in the the first half and the missed shots, and honestly, there were like four or five bunnies that Georgia State missed at the rim. So if you want to talk about like the shooting of ODU was a little bit fluky with like they weren't going to make 60% of their threes entire game that led to Georgia State's there was a little bit of flukiness offensively because it's like two or three reverse layups that just didn't fall. I think Brendan Tucker was two of them. There's another one. I think Dewan had a couple that he would have wanted back. So there was some weirdness with just missing very makeable shots underneath the rim but that kind of got better a little bit it's a weird game because like they ended up what with 77 little below their season average but 
not a bad scoring performance, but it, it really wasn't the offense for me. You know, they were 14 to 16 from the free throw line. That's great. Nine and 29 from threes, 31%. Like that's about where their season average is. It's decent, pretty below average on twos. You know, they were 18 of 42 inside the arcs, like 43%. Not where you really want to live at if you're a team, you know, on your twos, but the really the difference for me was the defense and not just the defense, but also the rebounding. They were plus 11 on the glass in the second half. Old Dominion only had seven offensive rebounds all game. And so it was a case where they were still kind of looking for those threes. And you had some of their guys who, when they got a little bit of space, they'd be putting up some threes and that would be the end of the possession. And the way they were fighting back is that when they had it at six or whatever, they kept it there and they kept clawing back in because ODU would not have multiple possessions, you know, with the same trip down the court. Georgia State would get the rebound, go back on offense and do their thing and kind of help them fight all the way back in. Really, uh, obviously would have been a discouraging loss, especially if it had trended the way it had been in the first half. But that's where it flips, where it's like, instead of that mega discouraging, embarrassing almost loss. It flips to you overturned a 20-point deficit and won by seven, and it turns into like one of those wins you can really build on. And that was a game after they went and beat South Alabama by 14 on the road. So really good stretch of games. Like it, it feels weird to say that when I really don't think they were at their best, especially offensively in this game against Old Dominion, but they just made those winning plays that those weren't there last year. And that's why last year this game would have been a loss. It was not like it didn't play out the same way as the ODU game in Atlanta last year, but that was one of those games you could circle. They lost 63-60 last year to Old Dominion. Dewan had a couple of free throws he missed in the final minute that would have been really key. I think he went 0 for 4 in the stretch or 1 for 4 in that stretch. And Old Dominion gets a game-winning jumper in the final 10 seconds and wins by 3. It was a game that was fully winnable last year. They just were not the team that were making those plays. But the credit to Old Dominion in this one, because not only did they have a knack for when Georgia State cut it to one, three straight times down the court, Old Dominion got a basket to re-extend the lead. You know, when Georgia State took a 70-66 lead late, it felt like, all right, the dam kind of broke. Georgia State's got this. Old Dominion rattled off four straight and tied the game. It was back to a dogfight. It was going to be who makes those plays in the final minutes. Georgia State ends the game on a 7-0 run. You know, they struggled with a 3-2 for a lot of the game, but biggest shot of the game was against that zone. The spot that you look for against a 3-2 is the corners. That's where they're weak when they're running a 3-2 zone. And Terry Lane got on the wing, hit a corner three to take the lead. It wasn't pretty all the time, but that one moment they needed a shot they got it, and uh, they took it home from there with defense and free throw shooting. Dewan got his moment to, you know, hit two in the final minute, made it a five-point game. Jaden finished it out, and that last defensive possession, when they were up 75-70 and protecting the lead, was a thing of beauty. It really was, and it was, you know, I think you hinted at it, uh, or at least you mentioned it last week. This was really kind of the opposite of the game against Old Dominion last year where Duan couldn't hit the free throws to, I believe that would have tied the game instead of Old Dominion leaving the sports arena, the convocation center with a win. Uh, so it was it was really, really nice to see how they kind of came together at the end there and played well. And, you know, just one final point that I wanted to say um, and I guess this will be my new, uh, you know, you had your Darren Granger empty set sort of like, I'm going to follow this this year. Um, I think coming into the season with the basketball team, I expected them to be a poor rebounding team. Georgia State has been out, has out rebounded all five of their Sunbelt opponents. And now I don't know if they are, if that's because the opponents are bad you know, there's. I think there's a good bit of variables that can kind of go in. So I'm going to wait to really make any sort of conclusions about it. Um, I, you know, this week I'm going to go back and chart what the non-conference schedule looked like at a very quick glance. It seemed like it was kind of even in terms of if they would lose the rebounding battle, they would lose the game. You know, there was a couple of ties. I think the two Little Rock wins, they, were, they tied in rebounds. Um, but... Uh, I'm very surprised 
to see that this Georgia State team is out-rebounding people, not because I don't think that there is rebounding talent on the team, but because I think we expected the other teams to be a lot bigger than Georgia State, given that Georgia State really has only two um Let's call them certified big. No, no, you've got one guy who's six eight. Uh, you've got one guy who's six ten. Nobody else is who's played so far this year. You know, you've got DK in the wings, but he hasn't played yet. You don't have size on this team, but you've got rebounding. And exactly. I've got the numbers for you. They're tied for fourth in the conference. They're plus four point one per game. They yeah. are, and th- that this weekend they were double digits advantage in both of the games. Like it's an emphasis, and you've got guys that are good at it, and. Both of those things are together because, you know, Georgia State has some good rebounders in the Ron Hunter. It wasn't an emphasis. And so you never saw it be something that they really led the way on part of it because of the zone. But it's definitely you can tell it's an emphasis. And you've got guys like Jaden Turner and Dewan Odom who are like in the top percentile for like what they do for their position, for their size at rebound. It yeah. matters to them and it mattered it, in these games. It really does matter to them. And I, I think... The more it goes on and the more – because I can't remember which game it was specifically in non-con, but there was a game where it was like, well, they got out-rebounded and that led to the other team having a ton more chances and, you know, Georgia State just lost. I think it might have been that Charlotte second half. Um, It was also Northern Illinois. There was a bit of a rebounding disparity there. Yeah. Wasn't at the offensive glass in that one, but they just – they out-rebounded them. And it was kind of the opposite of this one where they were not able to get multiple – you know, second chance points and stuff, and they ended up scoring 64 in that game, which the days of them scoring 64 in games feels like a mirage because they've just been putting up points, just gaudy numbers in conference season with the exception of the Southern Miss game, which is the one they lost. Yeah, they've hit 93 times. Like That's that's if you told me at the very worst of it last year. You know, that this the next year they would just go back to consistently hitting 80 plus and then even scoring 90 through the first five uh, conference games. I almost wouldn't believe you just given where things were last year. But I mean, I think it's safe to say that this is at least a good Sunbelt offense. No, no. I mean, they're averaging 80 points a game and that's with 122 against Tacoa Falls. But. That isn't like some crazy upper outlier. Like you said, they've scored 90 multiple times in conference play, and we're barely into conference play. Uh, And this is kind of a good segue to the Georgia Southern game because it was kind of the absolute ideal for this Georgia State offense. Like it was like the best collective game it's felt like they've played because, you know, talking about them on made two pointers, struggling a little bit against Old Dominion. They made two-thirds of their twos in this game. They were 29 of 43 inside the arc. They made 9 of 21 from three. That's a great 42.9%. 18 assists plus 13 on the glass. And I felt like you had both the best inside-outside game Tenari Lane's played this year and the best inside-outside game Lucas Taylor's played this year. Dewan Odom was on it. 15 points, five rebounds, nine assists, seven of nine from the floor. And like when you you led with it a little earlier, like when they are all on, this team is nigh on impossible to stop from scoring. And that's what you saw. And it just felt like they were really not settling. For the most part, they were either beating Georgia Southern in transition and getting just incredibly easy looks at the basket, or they were running their offense and getting really nice high percentage looks from three or from inside through running their offense. And yeah, but the mixture of patience and knowing when to push the pedal to the metal really paid off. It really felt like it was just the most comfortable start to finish. They've been offensively all season. And like they've scored 90 before out, you know, remove the 122 against to falls. Cause not D one, like yours are better than that team talent wise considerably. I don't think that, you know, like, I think this was a better performance than that. And, you know, we spent a lot of time, in the offseason, obviously talking about how, like, oh, the 3% really bad. They need to get better at jump shooting just in general. It was a really, obviously, the focus of the recruiting, who they brought in. They've gotten, like, a ton better on their two-pointers as well. Like, because they were near the bottom of all of D1 and three-point shooting last year, it kind of disguised that they shot 46.5% on twos last year. That was 314th in the country. 
They're at 50.6 right now, 166th, which there's still room to grow there, but that is night and day difference, like four percentage points on the most number of shots you're going to like that is you're going to take way more too so a four percent jump there means a ton like that's what we haven't talked enough about is that like you've gotten a lot better production from you know Jaden turner leslie and carry and dewan odom inside and you're getting that now more and more from guys like lucas taylor yeah, and that's, you know, I think that's an underrated part of the difference. Yes, obviously being able to shoot threes is important, but the thing that sucked about last year was when Georgia State was kind of in those offensive lulls, they just stopped taking good shots, you know? And I think when Lane this year and Taylor have been off this year, it's just been because they're not taking good shots and the good shots that they are taking, you know, are falling at the normal percentages that they would fall at. So it looks sometimes it looks way worse and then they're forcing things and, you know, you kind of get out of yourself. But you're absolutely right. You know, the way that they've attacked the basket and have been better, in, you know, in the fast break, have they've been better and made smart decisions like that's that is something that is certainly surprised. You know, you look at the the scoreboard, or the sorry, the box score for the Southern game. Okay, you see only seven fast break points. That doesn't sound like some big, huge number, right? But if you watch the game, it's not necessarily that they own like the it might have only been scored as seven fast break points, but they were still pushing the tempo every time they'd get a rebound. Every time Georgia Southern would score, if they did, you know, Georgia State would be right back down there running their offense in the half court. So maybe they took a couple extra seconds and still scored with, you know, I don't know. 18 on the clock or something like that. It's it's not like the tempo has changed, even if the fast break numbers might not be, you know, this gaudy amount. It's just they're still trying to push the pace and get as many possessions as they possibly can. And, you know, they're they're scoring on these possessions in a lot of these games. It's not like they're pushing the tempo and, you know, missing a bunch of shots and taking bad shots. You know, when when the, the shots are falling, like it looks really good for the Panthers right now. And clearly just Lucas Taylor showed up ready to shoot. Like he hit his first two from three. They were pretty deep ones too. He was set up pretty far beyond the arc, but just drained them. And you could tell he was confident just from minute one in this one. And that continued as he got a career high, 28 points. Talked about, you know, you had all three of those guys on and that's why you scored 90 points. Felt really good. But honestly, like the big disparity for me, it also was like, I thought Leslie and Jaden just absolutely owned down low. And I think that Leslie has been on a pretty low-key heater the last couple of weeks. Like, if you look at his numbers from the last four conference games, he's 22 of 28 on shots, 78.5%. He's averaging 12.5 points a game. He's averaging seven and a half rebounds a game. But that's with seven or eight in all of those games. Like, he has been Mr. Consistent. Like, he hasn't been putting up double-digit rebounds like Jaden Turner has in literally every Sunbelt game but he's been reliable and he's got seven steals as well. And it just felt like they had the clear advantage down low in this game. And you saw that with them affecting some shots. Georgia Southern was taken when they were on the drive. And you also saw, I think just like the most aggressive you've seen from Leslie, where he was getting to his spots. He was just winning against one-on-one -on -one down low. And he ends up seven of seven perfect from the floor. Actually short chain. Yeah. He had 14 points in this game. Like, I feel like he is really, he hasn't been bad, but I think we've seen like a heightened performance from him the last couple of weeks. And it's been a real contributor to the team taking a step and now winning three straight. He really has played well. You know, I think last year with Ed, um, we kind of thought that he would take a step forward by the end of the year and into this year. I don't think he, I just think he's not getting a ton of minutes, which, you know, that's fine. Uh, but Leslie has really come on strong lately. I mean, this is the big that Georgia State has been looking for for the last couple of years. You know, obviously there has been some good bigs to come through Georgia State. I'm not saying there hasn't been, but he, he's playing really well right now. I mean, it's fun to watch. You know, it's, it's, we're talking about a guy who it might not be the flashiest. He might not be the guy who's going to lead the team in rebounds because, Jaden Turner exists and decides that he wants to be a vacuum for rebounds. But Leslie, it's it's not because Leslie is out of position or is bad, you know, and it's I I feel like it's been rare that Leslie has been burned defensively 
in a way that was like, okay, that's his fault. You need to be in a different position or like a lot of the times he'll get burned just on a back cut or some sort of rotation where it was somebody else's fault that he ends up being the guy who is assigned. So, I mean, he's playing as well as anybody else on the team, you know, even if it's not that he's dominating from a point perspective. You're just consistent. Like he is just like, you're going to get the same performance and about the same on the stat sheet from him just about every night. And that is something that you can't put into, like, you can't quantify how important having that steady guy is. And, like, you're talking about Ed, and I think it's a general thing where I I have said, I've been like, they've got this depth they can lean on. Ricky Bradley has not really been in the rotation all that much. He played some against Old Dominion. Malik Ferguson has not played a ton. Uh, Julian Mackey didn't play in either of these games. I think it was really just that the, the five they had out there were like clearly the guys they needed to have out there, especially against Georgia Southern. Like Ed Namoko got in the second half for about four minutes and spelled either Leslie or Jaden. I think with both of them got a bit of a, a spell when he was in there in the game, but I don't think it has anything to do with Ed. I don't think it has much to do with the other guys. I think it is a case of just like knowing that the guys that they need to roll with are their starters because Tenari was on, Lucas was on, Dewan was on, Jaden was on, Leslie was on. And being able to have like that really high level performance, it is what having some games where you rolled the bench out a little bit more helps you out because you know, Dewan Odom played 39 minutes against Old Dominion played 32 minutes in this game he is not in the top 20 25 of the sunbelt minutes chart last year he was fourth in the conference in minutes played there were games where like multiple games where he played all but the entirety of the 40 minutes and you could see it wear on him by the end of the year where and we saw him miss some games with injury like he clearly had a lot on his plate last year. He was being asked the world of him and he was having to do so much. And you can still have these games where he plays a ton of minutes, but because they found other games, we're into January and it feels like he is still right where he needs to be as far as like freshness is ready to go every week. And this is still a button that Jonas Hayes can press where he, if he knows that everyone's locked in, I don't think he has to worry as much about the minutes and how fresh these guys are because we've seen them lean on the bench some. And I think we're going to see it again. Like, I don't know that we're going to see this type of performance from the starting lineup, the entirety of the rest of the season. Like there's still going to be one of those moments where it's like, Oh, this guy comes off the bench and is the difference maker in a game. But it was interesting to me to see him really just pare everything back down now and just go with the, the core five because it's, it's what was cooking. And it, it's funny to think they overcame a 12-point deficit against Old Dominion on Friday in the second half. And it was just like fundamentally not the better performance in the second half in this week as Georgia State was up 10 against Georgia Southern in the break. But they followed that up by shooting 64% in the second half, 45.5% from three, while holding Georgia Southern to 28% shooting and 11% from three, two of 18. And... At one point, Georgia Southern was 5 of 14 from 3. They ended the game 7 of 34. Like, that is an astounding cold spell. And it's why the game never flipped back. You know, it was a 10-point game at half. Georgia State got out to more comfortable lead in the early minutes of the second half and just kind of poured it on. And uh, I know that one felt good. And I know that, uh, especially for fans, you know, like, I don't know that Jonas Hayes, even with some of the wins he's stacked together, like even the game against Coastal last year that was an aberration to the rest of the season, there hasn't been like one of those moments for like Georgia State basketball asserting themselves. And I don't think you could argue that like as far as like the moment fans have been waiting for for this team to kind of retake that mantle, that winning by 28 against your rival, uh, a team that you've really taken care of business against in home games since you've restarted this series. Um, you can't argue that that's not exactly what fans would have been hoping for. Certainly, you know, and to that point about Jonas Hayes, I mean, Georgia State now has more conference wins than they did all of last year. That's got to feel good as a coach. 12 games to go? 14 yeah, so, games to go? Yeah, that's got to feel good as a coach. The win streak that they're on right now is 
<laughs> that is how many games that they won last year in conference play. And they never had a three-game win streak last year. Never did, you know? And then to the other thing, they won 10 games last year. Immediately started wearing those shirts, 10 and 21. I I know App State is good. You know, I App State is probably the Sunbelt darling right now, despite Troy being undefeated. You know, App State has had some pretty tough wins that we'll talk about here in a second. Um, one more win in 12 tries, and you have a clip, you have tied how many wins that Georgia State had last year. So, you know, things are different, and I'm glad that they're different. I think it was pretty clear that the, in the off season that they would be different. I don't think we just knew how good they would be. And I mean, I think we still don't, you know, I you know, obviously knock on wood, um, but there is a very realistic chance in this very tough four game road stretch that Georgia state comes out of it. One and three, you know, I don't think they'll get swept in all four games, but it's not an easy slate of games, you know, and to then, the games after that, like I'm I'm not saying Georgia State is out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. They have taken care of the business that has been put in front of them so far this year. But if they keep playing well, then, you know, it's just when we are talking about this year in terms of Georgia State basketball history, it might end up looking just like all the other ones do, postseason results notwithstanding. All right, so next up for the Panthers, the first two in a four-game road set, uh, as you alluded to earlier, at App State on Wednesday night, and the return leg of the state-southern rivalry just seven days later. I'm actually I'm actually not sure if that's the closest those two games have ever been, but I'll let you guys pontificate on that. Anyway, the Mountaineers are riding high in Dustin Kern's fifth season in charge. They're 13-4 and four and join GSU and Marshall in a three-way tie for second place in the conference. They're also fresh off of a 59-55 win at James Madison last Saturday. As for Georgia Southern, they'll get an immediate chance for revenge for Saturday's bludgeoning when the Panthers head to Hanner Fieldhouse on Saturday afternoon. State has won three of their last four in Statesboro, but they had lost six straight on the road in the series prior to that since the series resumed in 2010-2011. Gentlemen, thoughts on this series of road games? Yeah, so totally forgiven for just blotting out the COVID years. Um, but the way the scheduling worked, uh, Georgia Southern, Georgia State played on a Thursday, Saturday turnaround uh, in the 2021-22 season. So definitely not the quickest turnaround, but totally like fine that you were like, I'm just going to blot out those years because I, I get it. Um, yeah. But the, not a new record in that regard. But certainly a, uh, a very fast turnaround for a game that... Uh, you previewing that one you can't expect it the same way to have we just talked about how everything went right uh for georgia state not a lot went well for georgia southern um there's basically no way to expect the percentages to repeat in that game and you know georgia southern is the team who lost by 28 just a week ago and so you can certainly expect a response from them at home uh the things that i'm wondering about that one I think what you could replicate is I still think that the bigs advantage that I talked about is there that you can still have Leslie and Jaden be kind of setting that tone down low. And I think if you can do what happened with at least one of Tanari Lane or Lucas Taylor, where they get going early in that game, I don't know that you can rely on the team shooting 40 something from three again, although Southern's given a pretty decent clip from three all year, but that'll be the important thing for not repeating the exact same outcome, but getting out on the front foot on the road for what is going to be a big game for Georgia Southern. You know, I think the nightmare scenario for fans listening to this would have been them being winless heading into either of the games against Georgia State because, like, the worst outcome, no matter what Georgia State does all season, would have been being the only win on Georgia Southern's schedule and being the team that keeps them from being an offer. But uh, obviously, that's not how it played out. They got a couple of wins in conference play. They've been playing better. It will be very interesting mentality-wise to see how they approach that one a week on from really having everything go right, especially after what will be certainly the biggest... You know, outside of the BYU game, definitely the toughest game so far this season when they go to Boone to play App State on Wednesday. Yeah, you know, the good news for Georgia Southern, if you want to call it that, is they have only played four home games this year. So if you want to chalk up a big part of their record to the 11 road games, you know, I'd entertain that and listen to it. 
Um, the bad news, I guess you could say, is I'm not sure that that saves this team from a, still a very tough matchup, um, just given the personnel, given how they played on this past Saturday. Um you know, and I mean, I think Georgia State is some level of good, slash even if they're not upper-level Sunbelt good, I still think they're in a better spot, you know, than Georgia Southern. And, I mean, the matchup is the same. You know, we we expect Georgia State to do well. Um, you know, we expect Georgia Southern, just given where their offense is, to not do well. Although, this is what I'll say. They were 7-34 from three, especially early in the second half, if a few more of those go in on Saturday – the game, at least, they're hanging around for a little bit more, and you would expect that number of anything to be better for Georgia Southern. So, like, you have to be ready for them, who've been a top 100 shooting threes team, to be better, and that's where the pressure will be on. And it was a house of horrors from the last year. Like, that game, among, maybe other than the Marshall game, that game where they scored, like, single digits or almost single digits in the first half in the Hanner House last year was, like, the ugliest that they had looked in a pretty meager season and so there there's obstacles in this road game for sure certainly is you know and georgia southern has like two wins overall this year it's not because they're getting blown out in every single game they definitely have made some of their losses at least competitive losses you know um like they lost to eastern michigan by 10 you know that's not that bad they lost to unc wilmington by five um, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole schedule or anything like that, but it's not just that they're lining up on the court every single time and they look terrible. Um, and when they've won, they've hit their threes and their opponent has not. And we could certainly see a situation on next Saturday where the percentages from this game the, this past week flip. And that's where you get in a little bit of trouble. But certainly, I think after beating a team by 28, it would be disappointing to lose that game next week. But we have to recognize this rivalry, and, and like I said, this will be fresh in the minds of the Georgia Southern players. Certainly will. And, you know, because I can't read schedules, and I totally forgot that App State was the first game, not the second game. Um, no, I, I, I started with the Southern, like, this was me doing it, like, obviously it's the second game, but it felt like, because we just touched on Georgia Southern, just wrap it up in a bow. So okay. it's not you reading schedules. It was intentional backwards talk about the stuff. It's like a Japanese comic. Okay, that makes me feel better because I thought that's what happened, but I couldn't. I wasn't a hundred percent sure. Um, App State's going to be tough, you know. Like I, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Um, they're playing exceptional basketball right now. They went into James Madison, who you know I think everybody thinks James Madison is a really good basketball team right now. Came in, punched them in the mouth in the first half, held on for dear life in the second half, even though they were only outscored by one. I was kind of following that game on Sunbelt Twitter. Um, James Madison did not have a good shooting night, but neither really did App State, specifically from the three ball. Um, they just found a way to be really gritty and, you know, they made the most of their opportunities. And that I say all of that to say that that's kind of how some of what Georgia State has done to win, you know, this year. I, I, I don't expect Georgia State to win against App State. I don't. I think App State is playing really well. They brought back a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of continuity from last year and they just, they are really trying to find ways to grind teams down, but then still score in the, you know, I think the medium seventies it's an offense that can put up points. It's a defense that can, you know, kind of stop you and make you have bad days. It's kind of like that. I think it was what, two years ago, two tournaments ago, that absolutely annoying gritty team in the Sunbelt championship um, that ended up going to the NCAA tournament. Um, so I think that would be three, um, if my math is correct. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're, I mean, they're giving up the fewest in the conference at 63 points a game. It's really hard to score on them. They're not giving up much in terms of field goal percentage. They're not giving up much in terms of, you know, three-point shooting. They're just – they're a hair above Georgia State um, in opponent three-point percentage. So should be an interesting game, and I think – if it's if it is that style that App State likes to play, they'll probably come on top. But if Georgia State is able to play some tempo, you know, I don't want to say keep it high scoring because, you know, no one's really doing that on App State. But if they're able to actually get into their offense, I the Panthers at least have a chance. Yeah, I mean, Dustin Kearns has done an absolutely magnificent job there. 
uh, really bringing out the rowdiness that they have already built in as a football school with the basketball program. They have undoubtedly the best win in the Sunbelt so far this year when they beat Auburn, who is a top five team in the country. And you look at Ken Palm and just one of the hottest teams in the country. And they played in Boone earlier this year, beat them. And, you know, that's the type of quality they've got. You know, you mentioned they're top 10 in the country in effective field goal percentage, uh, which more heavily weights two pointers or more heavily weights three pointers, I guess you'd say, but um, top 20 in two point percentage defense, 43.9 top 60, 55 in three point defense top 15 in block percentage. You know, they have a lot of blocks. They've got CJ Huntley. They've got Trevon Spillers and they've got Justin Abson, all of whom are really annoying that you got to deal with. They can block some shots and, the other part of it is they, they're a really smart offensive team because they're top 20 in the country in two-point percentages shooting, 56%, and they're in the bottom 50 or so in three-point percentage. But they basically stick to shooting their twos. like They don't get out of their own game too much where they start taking a bunch of threes and leaning on the parts of their offensive game that they're less adept at. And so... Like the answer to beating them is you've got to either just shoot the lights out, which they don't let teams do very often, or you've got to find a way to make them get out of what they do offensively, which is very hard to do. And that's before you talk about this, the the mountains of it and the fact that you're traveling to altitude and that's something that they play at all the time. And so in whatever sport it is, that does give uh, the Mountaineers some kind of advantage, however quantifiable when teams are traveling to them. Like it is there's a whole separate factor uh, when you're having to prep for these games on the road in Boone. And so all of that said, I think that we saw this past Saturday a game where Tenari Lane and Lucas Taylor were both very on top of their offensive game. And Lucas Taylor, especially was just hitting all the shots. He was five or six from three. He was six to 10 inside the arc. And like, that is the path of what you're going to need to win this game on Saturday or on Wednesday. The thing is, is we just laid all of that out as like, this is going to be a toughie. And, you know, they're four and one right now and four and one is four and one. But this is more of the meat of the schedule. And this is really your first real big test. But the way that works is if you do find a way to win this game, you're really going to put Georgia State back on like the type of ground we're used to seeing Georgia State on. Like this is a serious type of win that will make the fast start it'll start opening up more eyes than just, oh yeah, Georgia State's higher in the standings than we were expecting last year. They were last in the conference now. They're three-way tie for second. Like this is the type of win that you can get that'll really send a signal that like, yeah, this team is back where they've been and, you know, some belt take notice, some belt be fearful, whatever. It's going to be a real ask to do so. And I think you and me, you're still going to kind of have to see it. But I will say that like when you take, the fullness of the ODU game, the, the second half included with the badness in the first half, like the last three games are as good as they've played in a stretch of games since Jonas has got here. And that's why they've won all of them, which is the first time they've won three games in a row the last two seasons. So like they f- seem as suited as possible to really make a game of this. But um, for the reasons we let out, like it is going to be a toughie and you could see this being the type of game where they're just not able to score enough points or get enough stops. And like, like whether it is like they've got to either match App State's defense, which App State advantage on defense for sure. Like certainly with what we've seen from Georgia State, it's not where they excel a lot of the time. Or they've got to find a way to make what they do on offense really, really work and just put up the numbers we've you know, seen from them. Whether it's in like, you're not probably going to score in the, the 80s and 90s, but shoot a better percentage and make the most of the possessions you do get. And we talked about them with rebounding. Like this will be a game where you're going up against some real height. You're going up some real size. The guys like Huntley, like Abson, Spillers. Um, and they've got Donovan Gregory who just kind of does everything. And he's another guy like Dewan where he's not, he's six foot three, but he finds a way to show for those rebounds. And he just has his hands just about everything that this team does as an offense. It'll be, you know, if we, we see you know, their plus four, point one rebounding margin this year like if that's another game where they're able to win on the glass 
could be a real factor in this one, and it could help them stay around on the road here against App State. That, uh, you know, to the point about how they've played, I think I think we've seen a few different types of wins this year for Georgia State. They've beaten bad teams, teams that we think are bad, I should say. They've kind of scrapped with bad teams and found a way to win, you know, the that come from behind victory against Old Dominion, you know, really kind of holding on for dear life against Arkansas State. You know, those types of wins, they're very important. They're very instrumental in, you know, building chemistry, building camaraderie, building, you know, those positive vibes, if you will. It's not a sports stat, but look it up. Um the next thing that we need to see Georgia State do to really kind of show us, okay, what can this team be is they've got to go beat a team we think is good. You know, they struggled against BYU. They struggled against Belmont. You know, I don't know what level of good BYU is versus App State. I, had, I didn't check Ken Palm this week. I'm sorry, dear listeners. But... Obviously, those are difficult games that were on Georgia State's schedule. Uh, you know, just looking at BYU on ESPN, they lost three games all year. You know, two of them were conference games. One was to Baylor, who I know Baylor's been really good this year. Um, UCF is a little bit of a head scratcher, but that's for the Thursday night BYU equivalent podcast to talk about, not us. You know, I think Georgia State's ability to go in and beat an App State team like this, to go through this stretch of all road games and to come out on the other side, absolute worst two and two, looking great at three and one, looking even better at four and oh, that will tell us, okay, this Panthers team is eight and oh at the absolute best or six and three. They can be good. They can get to a double buy in Pensacola and they can make a run. They might not be the favorite going into the tournament. They might not even be the one seed going into the tournament, but Georgia State is back. I'm not saying that they are yet, but that is where that is how I'm looking at this stretch and seeing, okay, where really is this team? Because it's it's a hard stretch. Like I, I am very much so acknowledging that this is a difficult stretch of basketball games. I don't think they will get swept. You know, don't old takes expose me, you know, but I think that given how well they have played, they have played at least better than Georgia Southern and Coastal Carolina. Because I don't know why Coastal is a house of horrors on the road for Georgia State, but it's not a place that Georgia State has won recently in the last couple of years. But I still think they're a better team than Coastal Carolina. And if they play well, they can beat Georgia Southern again. They can beat Coastal again. So flip a coin for App State and Marshall. And, you know, we might be talking that this Georgia State team is, in fact, back to where we think that they could be as a program. Yeah, I mean, we think now from what we've seen that they can win the games they're quote unquote supposed to. This is the first test to win a game you're not supposed to. And, you know, that's going to be, I think no matter what, we can agree, must they just collapse? They're going to surpass last year's win total overall. They're probably going to do it by a few games. They should have a winning record when all is said and done, just if they hit, take care of their games, especially at home, but even the road games that they're going to be favored in. They should have a winning record, and that's going to be a massive improvement over last season and more what we've been used to seeing. And then it's just up to how you do in Pensacola if that's what happens. Games like this are your first chance to show if you're going to be more than that. So I'm excited to see what happens on Wednesday. Could be something to look back at and it's like, oh, App State won by 15 and just were the better team. And you also have to live with that. And you're going to have to look at what they do and what you can do to improve this roster to be back at that level like we've seen in the past decade for Georgia State. But, you know, we're going to have less like what is going to happen and have some more certainty after this week, after that game on Wednesday. All right, so last but certainly not least, we do have a belated schedule update for football for you. We know all 12 games on Georgia State's 2024 football schedule as the Sunbelt Divisional Crossover Games were announced by the league earlier this month. Panthers will host Arkansas State and head to Texas State for their two bouts with West Division competition next season. That means the full schedule is uh, August 31st, heading up to North Avenue to face Georgia Tech in Bobby Dodd Stadium, and then returning for the home opener on the 7th of September versus Chattanooga, next week hosting Vanderbilt, which was moved from the 28th of September, 
And then the final non-conference game is at UConn on the 2nd of November. Sunbelt home games being Arkansas State, Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, and Old Dominion. Road games against App State, James Madison, Marshall, and Texas State now. Uh, dates for the conference games will come no later than March 1st when announced by the league. Gentlemen, thoughts on this? So scheduling is still kind of like, I don't know the exact formula for it, but in my head, because of who Georgia State hadn't played, I'm pretty sure the teams it was going to be was Arkansas State or Texas State, who it ended up being, or South Alabama. And so if you took that, because those are the teams they have not played from the West since the realignment happened, all three of those are bowl teams this past season. So no matter what, you were going to draw two bowl teams from the West. Um, kind of hard to avoid that when all but two teams in the conference went bowling. And so you look at it kind of like last year when they had Louisiana and Troy, it's like, oh, they caught kind of a bad draw. But truth is, there weren't a whole lot of places that would have felt great just because it is a competitive conference. And um, looking at it, Texas State is kind of the team... I don't know that they're going to get picked to win the West because they've not really had that kind of pedigree. And I kind of just feel like when, when all said and done, uh, the coaches are going to do the same thing they did with Louisiana after Napier left and have Troy just be the preseason favorite this next season, just because they've been it for the last couple of years. But I think Texas state is at that level. And so drawing them on the road, given what they've got coming back, you know, TJ Finley, the quarterback is going to be back. Uh, TJ Kinney's going to really get to kind of set his high school recruiting stuff up for year two now that he's staying there. He got a nice little raise. So I think of the possibles, that was probably like the least desirable to draw because I think they're good and you're going to them. But should be a fun one. It seems like there's no normal games when Georgia State goes to San Marcos. And I am betting that's going to be the case again when they hit the road uh, next fall. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely not. Um have a slightly different take only because I mean look Texas State is good they were good this year you know they went to their first bowl game in program history you know got to eight wins you know I, I do not take anything away from Texas State for doing that you know and Arkansas State kind of in the same vein um, you know had a good season found a way to you know be better than I think some people thought they would be. Especially after the first two weeks. Especially after the first two And weeks. they got their QB. Jalen Rayner, if they can keep him, definitely a dude. Certainly a dude. You know, and I don't even take losing in the bowl game to mean anything. It's a bowl game. It happens. Transfer portal, you know, blah, 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 blah. That being said, it's a tough schedule, but just because Georgia State plays in the East, I think it's always going to be a tough schedule. And yes, there are a ton of questions with this Panthers team simply because the turnover and they don't, you know, the quarterback's position has been, you know, there, there's a transfer, I would say. You know, we, it's we been think, filled. You know, we will see how well. Correct. Yes, that, that's the best way to say it. It's been filled, but we will see how well. But assuming that there is at least comparable quarterback play to what Georgia State has had the last few years, this schedule really isn't that bad. I mean, it's always going to be tough. App State and James Madison travel extremely well. So even if that game is in Atlanta, you know, those fans are going to come down. It's going to be a big environment. Well, those two are both know. on the road. No, I'm getting there. Don't worry. I got you. You know, that game being in Atlanta doesn't really matter. Obviously, this year, because those two games are on the road for Georgia State, it's going to be tough. But it's also tough when they're in Atlanta, you know. And with the games that they have at home this year, I mean, I know the Coast, at some point a home team is going to win in the Coastal Carolina Series. I'm not saying it's going to be this yeah, year. Yeah, chalk that up as an L. Just we know how it goes. <laughs> Principles. This year, this year is as good a time as any because McCall is finally gone, you know, and I, I don't know where Coastal Carolina is going to be heading into the fall. You know, Arkansas State was good, like I said. Georgia State should be able to take care of business at home. You know, I'm not claiming that Georgia State should be 4-0 or 3-1 with Coastal at home before anything else. But I, I just think that the schedule feels like a just a solid schedule. I don't see 
a ton of like, oh wow, this is going to be really, really hard. You know, I don't, I don't think Georgia State's going to go twelve and zero in the schedule. I don't like, you know, I think that would be great. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think there is an appropriate level of quote unquote difficulty with it, and it's really going to come down to how the sequencing of the actual games and you know when the bye week is, and you know, is James Madison going to occupy that first slot like Coastal has a couple of times, or is James Madison going to be the last game of the season? You know, like those types of things really kind of dictate, you know, where the schedule is in terms of difficulty. I think this is a solid opponent list. You know, it could have been Texas State and Troy could have been Troy and South Alabama. You know, that would have been a pretty unfortunate, you know, conference or sorry, divisional draw for Georgia State, even if Troy is going to see some turnover and some changes because they lost their coach from last year, I think. You know, James Madison is going to be the same way, too. You know, we don't know how good James Madison is going to be this year. You know, App State, you know, by the grace of a higher power, found their way in the Sun Belt Championship game last year. You know, so I just I see the schedule and I say, okay, you know, it's going to be tough. Their road Eastern Division games are going to be tough, but you're either going to have tough Eastern Division road games or it's going to be tough, you know, Western draws, you know, maybe there'll be a couple of years where it's going to kind of relax out a little bit, but that's just kind of the way that the Sun Belt is now. The whole conference is good. So you just have to rise above that if you're going to be good yourself. Pretty sure that's the conference branding. So nice job there with the synergy. Rise hey, above. Man. Hey, man, you're telling me that I'm going to write the next Ryzen commercial? I'm all ears. Keith, hire me. So I have a little, like, I can't math out all of the possible schedule permutations because, I mean, I could, but that would be way too much work. But because of where other teams' non-conference schedules are and where Georgia State's playing in September, I at least know, like, the possibilities for the schedule. And that, like, is what you're talking about, where it could be a certain way. So because the Vanderbilt game moved to the 14th, that also opens up even more possibilities the final two weeks of September. So it's possible either September 21st or September 28th are the, where the buy falls. But it, it is also possible that on the 21st of September, they could play at home against Old Dominion. Or that could be when the road trip happens to App State or Texas State, because those teams are also open that weekend. You flip it up to the 28th, they could host Georgia Southern. They're free that weekend. Be a, a totally different, newer time for that game to happen. They could host Coastal Carolina, which I just feel like is going to happen just because that's how it feels like that game is just destined to be in September every year now. Or that could be when they head to Marshall. Or that's when they could host Arkansas State. And so, like you say, it will really depend on where it goes down because, look, if you're talking about it being a, st- a schedule that starts out at Georgia Tech, then UTC, then Vanderbilt, then at App State, at Marshall. That's about as brutal of a September as you could draw up, given the possibilities of the games. It could also be that you get your bye there at the end of September, and maybe you play at home against Old Dominion on the 21st, which obviously they won that game this year, but it's a home game, and that'd be three straight weeks, and then a bye where you're staying in Atlanta, which would help you out and kind of give you a little bit of stability. So it really is going to depend, but those are kind of the possible options for the September schedule. Um, And even that will dictate a lot of the way the rest of the season shapes up. Uh, Maybe avoid the Saturday, Thursday turnaround where you're on the road for both games or the Thursday, Saturday, whichever way it might be. Uh, Sunbelt maybe do a little bit of a solid there because two straight times they did the Louisiana Statesboro leg back to back Thursday to Saturday. So or Saturday to Thursday. So maybe avoiding that. But uh, we'll we'll have to wait until at least March the 1st to see how, like, get our full analysis on the schedule. But I don't disagree with your, I think we both have the same thought of, like, if we just say, oh, this schedule is so bad, the Sun Belt is so hard every year, it's going to get kind of tiring. Like, it is what it is. We know that this is what everyone signed up for. And I don't think it's different. You know, if you're trying to be, like, the sec or like these if you're trying to make yourself the class of the g5 like sec schools do not get to look at their schedule and be like man look at these soft spots like that that's how it is when you want to be in a top league is there just are not anywhere to hide exactly you know i 
you know, if you're an Alabama fan, and this is probably a bad example, just given the last 15 years for them, but the, the two questions that they look for are, okay, is the Iron Bowl at home this year or is it away? And then where are we playing Tennessee and LSU? That's about it. You know, they're not looking like, oh, this is hard. I don't think that's true. I think what they look at is where are the semifinal and finals I want to travel this year. Like, like legitimately, that you use the example of Alabama. Like, that's what their fans are thinking about. Like, that's what their fans are thinking about leaving the national championship. Like, I remember there being like quotes from people hearing Alabama fans talking about like leaving after they lost to Georgia. Oh, well, is it in LA next year? That's going to be fun. I actually, you know, I actually know somebody who talked that she is a Bama fan and she had a friend who, after they lost to Georgia, he immediately bought hotel tickets for the next, the city, the next year's championship was in Bama didn't go obviously. Cause it was, um, UGA TCU. So, but it was just, you know, kind of funny yeah. what people are looking for. Maybe not the best, but like to your point, like that is how it works for a lot of these teams in these really elite conferences where it's like no one gets a good draw, just how it is. And that is how the, on the G5 level, that's how the Sunbelt is shaping up. And so I just think you got to lean into it and be like, yeah, it's, it is what it is and not make it a thing every year where like, oh God, the schedule's so hard because. That's not changing. Like until there's a realignment or until Georgia State's in a different conference, which may or may not happen for the foreseeable future. Like that's just how it's going to be. And so I think you got to embrace that like every year is going to be an absolute just meat grinder. Yeah, the only thing that I think could save it is if they got rid of divisions, maybe. Maybe that'll help it. Also, yeah. I should have used Michigan. Michigan would have been a much better example because the Ohio the Ohio State at the end of the year, that's something that they look for. And it's not like they've had this great run of success until like before they beat Ohio State two years ago. So, yeah, that should have been my example. Bad on me for thinking about the SEC. They don't run football, damn it. I didn't even make the title game. Slipping. I know those scrubs. All right. And that is all the time we have for this week's episode. But before we get you out of here, let's do a quick rundown of everything happening in Georgia state sports. Once again, uh, as we said on Wednesday, men's basketball heads up to Boone, North Carolina to take on app state at six 30 PM. You can catch that game on ESPN plus or listen to Dave Cohen on the call on WRSFM 88.5. Moving on to Thursday, women's basketball heads to Hattiesburg, Mississippi to take on Southern Miss at 7 p.m. That will be on ESPN+. And on Friday, women's track and field heads to Columbia, South Carolina for the Carolina Challenge. That is a Friday-Saturday event starting at 3 p.m. on Friday. Speaking of Saturday, jam-packed event day here. Women's basketball heads to Mobile to take on South Alabama at 6. That game will be on ESPN+. Men's tennis faces Elon in Peachtree Corners at noon. Men's basketball, of course, heads down to Statesboro to take on Georgia Southern in the return trip for this past Saturday's game at 3 p.m. You can watch that on ESPN Plus or listen uh, on WGTJ FM 97.5. And then at 5 p.m., men's tennis faces South Carolina State in Peachtree Corners as well. And on Sunday, women's tennis heads up to Clemson, South Carolina to face the Tigers at 11 a.m. And that is everything that's going to happen before the next time we see you again on the Thursday Night Podcast. So get out there, support the Panthers, and we will see you in next week's episode. Have fun. Bye-bye.